For years, I stayed comfortable in the discomfort of my life, my marriage, my corporate job, and I know many of you listening to this are doing this in one or more areas of your life. My guest today believes that as human beings, we get to be all the things, and we don't have to live in the boxes that society tries to put us in. And she herself has had some massive transformational moments in her life and her career. My guest today is Regina Lawrence, and she's a former trial attorney turned breathwork and sound meditation practitioner, as well as the owner of a boutique social media marketing agency and the host of the podcast, All the Things. Here's the thing. When it comes to your life, business, relationships, health, you get to choose what's more important to you. Staying in that stuck energy and feeling overwhelmed, frustrated, anxious, depressed, or choosing to take the risk to do the thing that's going to help you create the business, the relationship, the life that you actually desire. And I know change can be scary. And for a lot of you, you have no idea where to even start. That's one of the reasons I've created Expansion, the Limitless Life Membership Community. It's a unique subconscious strategy and energetic healing space, and you're not going to find anything like it anywhere else. It's a place where you can continue to expand your knowledge of all things, mindset, manifestation, and energetics, so you can actually create your limitless life. Twice a month, we meet for live trainings. You get them from me and other guest experts I'm bringing in. There's a growing library of my custom-designed expansion audio programs and exercises, and I've made it affordable for everyone. It's $2.50 a day. It's month to month, so if you try it and it isn't for you, you can cancel at any time. You can go to my website, brenda-johnson.com and check it out, or I'm going to link it in the show notes for you to make things easier. Now, let's dive into this episode. You're listening to the Limitless Life Podcast, helping you simplify mindset and energetics by giving you easy-to-use strategies that'll help you ditch the self-sabotage and move through resistance so you can create your limitless life and business. I'm your host, Brenna Johnston, and as a subconscious mindset strategist, I've learned over the years how to make the deep transformational work even easier and far more effective. So join me weekly for new episodes and get ready to step into your highest potential. So welcome, Regina. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I originally wanted to bring you here because of the breath work and the sound healing. We also do very similar work with people subconsciously in the bodies, but in a totally different way. And then I started to get to know more about you. And I was like, holy shitballs, this woman is so interesting. (laughs) So we are going to talk about the breath work and the sound healing because I've also gotten to experience you. Mm -hmm. it, It actually blew my mind. So we'll get to that. But I just... I want to talk about your whole entire journey because I think it's really important for a lot of the women listening to this to hear about it. So let's just start at the beginning. Like, let's just talk and see where this goes. But I want to talk about becoming a lawyer, first of all, because you were a badass trial attorney. Yeah, I practiced for seven years. I can't, it's like now at this vantage point. Like, it's almost like I'm, sometimes it's almost like I'm telling somebody else's story because I've changed and evolved. Like I'm so different than I was even five years ago that 
it's crazy to think about, but yes, I am a non-practicing attorney and I practiced for seven years. Did you want to be a lawyer growing up? Were you like, Hey, I think I'll be a lawyer. I, okay. So no, growing up, I'm a class, I was a classically trained pianist. Um, I've always been very attracted to the arts and the creative side of my brain so much. So like, have you ever read or watched any Jane Austen movies or books? Yeah. Okay, you know how those like like the women from wealthy families, they spend their days playing the piano and reading and painting. I was like, I was born in the wrong time period because that's like what I wanted to do and be. Um, but I became a lawyer because we would joke and say, I used to say like, if Elle Woods can go to Harvard, I can go to Rutgers. And I went to law school on a whim. So in college, I studied literature and philosophy and thought I would get a master's in bioethics or in something philosophical or artistic. And I, a little, so even before I tell you about being a lawyer, cause there, there are things that shaped that decision that I now understand. Mm-hmm. Um, I am one of nine children from the same mom and dad. Um, very normal, upper middle class, like Irish Italian family from the Philadelphia area. And seven of my nine siblings have had different struggles with addiction um, to alcohol and drugs, me not being one of them, but growing up in that environment and also very Catholic, like the most conservative, I don't know really almost anybody that grew up like I did, like saying the rosary every night, going to daily mass every day, like really conservative Catholic. And so growing up in that environment where you have addict siblings and you're not an addict and you're seeing your sisters get pregnant young and all these things happening, I became the the codependent fixer. I became the one who was like, I'm going to help everyone. I'm going to hold everyone's secrets. I'm going to be the middleman. And that's who I was. And I got to a point where I looked at my family and I was like, I want more. I want to make a lot of money. I want to have certainty that I'm going to make a lot of money. And I want to be successful because in my mind, money and success meant that I could be different than the family I grew up in. And I, and I love my family. I chose them before I came into this lifetime for the lessons that came with growing up in this way. Um, But I also knew I needed something different. And so I was going to get my master's in journalism. um, But then all the schools I was looking at, I was like, there's no guarantee that I'll get a great journalism job with this expensive degree. And so I started looking at um, different political news anchors because I wanted to be an on-air TV like like political correspondent. Everyone was blonde. I was like, I'm smart. I'm a brunette. I want to be on TV. <laughs> and so I was like, I'm going to go to law school. I think I'm going to go to law school. And started, <laughs> my family was like, you know, it's really hard, right? Like, it's not easy to go to law school. But I am a girl that I'm not always the smartest in the room, but I will I will work people under the fucking table, especially in that time of my life. I will muscle through. I will make it. And so started looking into law schools, signed up to study for the LSATs and reached out to Rutgers University in New Jersey just to get information. And they said, hey, send us like your GRE testing scores and your college GPA. And this was in June of 2009. 
And so I send them that information. And a few weeks later, I get a letter in the mail that says, based based on your scores and your GPA, we would like to invite you into the fall 2009 law school class. And I was like, what? (laughs) What? I'm going to law school. And my family was like, what? I was like, I got into law school and I didn't have to take the, like the LSATs. And so I went to law school and I was like, yeah, I went to law school and um, everyone was like very confused. I was, I had a long-term boyfriend at the time and he was like, you're going to be a lawyer. And I was like, no, I'm never going to practice law. I don't like to be in front of people. I don't like to be- I don't like to be the center of attention. <laughs> I don't like to talk in front of people, which is so funny because I'm like, now I'm like, give me a microphone, put me on stage, baby. And so um, I went to law school never wanting to practice. That is wild. So then how the hell did you end up become? So you went to law school never wanting to practice. And not only did you practice, you became a trial lawyer. <laughs> How did so, that happen? <laughs> our first year of law school, um, at the end of the year, you write a brief that you present to the appellate court, like a faux appellate court. And when you do that, you write a brief, but you get your, you have your adversary there in court and you get a certain amount of time. They get a certain amount of time and you get up in front of the court and you argue your case and you start you start with your argument and then the judges cut you off and they ask you questions and you have to argue on your feet. And so I did that and I had never felt so embodied in my life being like on my feet, no notes, knew everything I needed to know. And I did that. And so afterwards, my professor was like, hey, I know that you don't think that you want to be in court honey, you are a litigator. Like you are supposed to be in court. You are supposed to be on in front of people. Like you have a gift on your feet. You can think on your feet really quickly. And I was like, huh, okay, that's interesting. So the next year I studied trial advocacy and I studied evidence and I studied everything you needed to start your path to being a trial attorney. And I also took a lot of litigation courses. And so in the process of doing that, my professors were like, you're a trial attorney. Like you, you're so good at this. And I was like, huh. And it also started giving me this confidence of being like, oh, I never grew up thinking I was really smart. Like, and so then I started like doing this stuff and I was like, oh, I'm pretty intelligent. Wow. Okay. And so it started like law school. I was supposed to go to law school for the sheer like point of building belief in myself that like I for better or for worse I think I can do anything like and that fostered in me a belief that like it might be hard there might be shitty times but like bitch you can do anything you went to law school you can do anything you know and so that's how I got into the trial world um I just started doing things and people were like you're really good at this and I was like oh wow Okay, great. <laughs> uh, that gives me shivers just like thinking about it. I also feel like the paths we take originally, like I feel like they help us 
in the lives we live now. Like I could see how being a lawyer is helping you run multiple businesses, just like with me, the marketing and the advertising. Like I see yeah. it now. Yeah, same. And I see, because I know listening to one of your episodes, you talked about working in law and having the super narcissistic asshole boss and all the things. And I've experienced that too. So that was, that really resonated with me. I was like, oh yeah, I feel that. So how did you, so you're working in law, you have the narcissistic boss, you're probably working like 70 hours a week. Yeah. Then what happens? Okay. So I had two distinct God moments in my decision to leave law. My first God moment happened. My first job out of law school was a to be a civil trial attorney for the city of Philadelphia. And so I got to try these great cases in federal court, like right out of law school, I was getting trial experience that like attorneys 10 plus years out never got and probably will never have. And so I had my first federal trial and the jury comes out, they issue a verdict for us in favor of us and our client. And at that moment, I just felt this like, oh, that's it. I thought I was going to feel happier. I thought I was going to feel more fulfilled, but I don't feel anything. I just want to go take a nap. And I remember that feeling and I just like cataloged that and like put it in my brain, but never forgot it because like I expected to feel this like sense of like fulfillment and purpose and my whole education had worked up to this moment, nothing. And I was like, okay, let's go get a beer. You know, um, that was my first God moment. Second God moment as my career progresses, I decide to leave the city and go into private practice as, um, a fraud investigator and litigator for a big firm. And, uh, I'm doing the things I am working for the narcissistic boss, but at this point he loves me and I'm getting the best cases. And I have a boyfriend who I had been partners with for we were together for five and a half years at that point, had had everything I had ever wanted. Like, and I had actively chosen and co-created everything I got up until that point. And I had this moment where I was feeling anxious and panicked and anxiety and pan- panic were like a part of my identity. They were like my friends, right? I just assumed like, my whole family is anxious. I'm going to be like this forever. So I'm in my office. I start sweating. I'm feeling the panic attack coming up. And I get out of my, get up, close my office door. And I'm like, oh no, I'm really unwell. So I remember I laid on my office floor, my arm stretched out like I was on a cross and I just start sobbing. And I put in a headspace meditation because I was just starting to learn about like really learning how to meditate. So I put in a headspace meditation and I'm laying there on the floor. I have a pencil skirt on. I have a pair of Louboutins and I'm like looking at my body and my, and like, I'm feeling so stressed and I'm crying. And I remember a voice saying, your life doesn't have to be this hard. And I was like, huh. And I looked around my office. My office was gray. And I was like, do I want to spend the rest of my working career in the four walls of an office like this? And I was like, no. And so I said back to the voice, well, what do I do? And I just heard, you got to fucking figure it out. (laughs) and so that forced me I took that nudge seriously 
And the first thing I thought to do was a girlfriend of mine had introduced me to Tony Robbins. And so I was like, I'm going to start watching this Tony Robbins guy on YouTube. And so I started watching Tony Robbins videos, listening to Tony Robbins podcasts, like developing a Tony Robbins obsession. And then I was like, okay, I need real support. So I hired my first business and life coach, Jeff. And um, he was like, it's a $3,000 for a three-month package. I was like, great. Can I pay you monthly? Like full body, didn't even think about it, hired him. And then he started working with me on neurological reprogramming of my mind, my words. And so I'd get on calls with him and it was literally hell. It was like boot camp. I would, he'd ask me a question and I'd be like, yeah, I don't know, maybe. And he started to dissect the use of my words, the inflection in my voice and what that was saying about the thoughts that I was thinking. So I started journaling every morning and I started to rewrite the way I think to the point where I made a decision. I'm never going to speak unkindly to myself anymore. It's not serving me. So I'd be out and about in my day. And I had like, at the time I had very self-deprecating humor And so I'd be like, oh yeah, like I'm such a hot mess or I'm such a stress mess. And um, I would do something in my day and I'd be like, God, you're so fucking stupid. And then I would stop and I would be like, no, Regina, you're not stupid. Was that the best life decision you could have made? No, but you're actually really intelligent and you can't talk to yourself like this anymore. And I started like in my conscious mind, like dissecting with the help of my coach every single thought um, and started to slowly like rewire and retrain the way I thought, the way I lived, the way I showed up, the energy I put out into the world. Isn't it wild how we speak to ourselves? I know growing up and even, so I'm 48 now and I only just started speaking nicely to myself probably in my early forties. So my whole life, it was the same. It would be like, but it was more around money with me. So it would always be things like, oh, I'm so poor. I'm po. I can't even afford the last two letters. And I wasn't like, I always, I busted my ass and worked really hard, but because the belief was I had to do that to make the money, but it's the same. It was like, I would say these things all the time and I would catch myself and I was like, no, there's not what, where's the proof of that? That's not even true. Our words have so much power. We were actually just talking before we hopped on here that I infuse my water with the frequency of love simply by having the word love under the water jug. Yep. Like words have energy. Everything has energy, but especially our words. There's so much energy attached to words and like, like the way that we define them and the way we think about them has such like a heavy energy. So like a word that I love is my word of this year is discipline Mm. and discipline is a really triggering word, especially for women. And it's because the energy and the connotations they've associated with the word discipline. But in my mind, Discipline means systems. Discipline means structure. Discipline means I get to serve in a bigger way and I won't feel as stressed because I have form and structure for my feminine to flow in. So my definition of discipline is like, it feels good. Other people hear that word and they're like, oh no, don't say that word to me. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, and you have to have discipline because you're running multiple businesses. Yeah. So to me, I love that definition because I could see how people go, discipline. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you have the God moments, you decide you don't want to go into law. How did you leave the practice? Like what happened? I know you were working with your coach and stuff, but then what it happened? took a couple years. It took me about three years from that God moment to make the shift. And so what had happened was I had started coaching a little bit. And so I was introduced to entrepreneurship through network marketing, realized I'm not, I'm not a network marketer. It's just not my thing. Um, but the beautiful thing about it is that the company that I worked with, um, would bring in really great speakers. So I, they brought Tony Robbins in for an event and I got to go to a Tony Robbins event. They brought in Brendan Bruchard. Um, so I got to like experience these men who are like movers and shakers and like the mindset space and started coaching on the side. And as I'm coaching, I start building a brand on social media and my firm was not happy about it. Mm. And they felt some kind of way about it. And my boss who loved me, quote unquote, all of a sudden was like out to get me. And, you know, one of the things when you're a defense attorney is you have to bill your time and you have a certain amount of billable hours you have to make every single month. And if you don't bill your time and make your hours, like you're fucked. And so I noticed I was getting less cases and getting less cases and getting less work. And I was like, oh, okay. The end is in sight. He's trying to push me out. And so he started doing that and doing that and doing that. And I was getting cases from other people. And so then um, I got called into a meeting with him and two of my managing partners. And they were like, not happy with my work performance. And I was like, okay, I'm going to leave. Okay, bye. <laughs> I'm going to leave. And so they, I think they were shocked that I was like, okay, bye. I'll leave. And I'll take, because because of this conversation, I get a severance. And so I left, I had no money saved. <laughs> I had no plan, but I also, and I don't recommend that for people. Like I was able to do that because of the, the way I am. Like, I know that if it's all on me, I will figure it out. And so I left, I got a little bit of a severance and I just started learning how to run a business from zero. <laughs> I love that. I, you know, I look back now and I almost want to thank my boss for like, I stayed for 10 years. So I'm okay. glad I got out earlier, but like near the end, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And then he ended up actually getting let go. And then another boss came in and it was the same thing. So I look back now and I'm like, thank you. Yeah. That experience. Yep. So it had to get so fucking bad that yeah. I was just like, okay, I am done now. It had to get that bad. Like if it didn't get that bad, I would have stayed in like the lukewarm of it not being too bad forever and just hating my life. Right. And I just remember too, yeah, the hating your life, like just waking up and be like, is this my actual fucking life? wait, yes, this is what success is. You have the great job, you have uh -huh. the relationship. Like I had a nice car, I had a yeah. house. And then sitting there going, 
So success feels like shit. Is that what you're trying to tell me here? Yeah. No. That's how I felt. I felt like it was a prison. I felt like I did all the things I was supposed to do and it was so unfulfilling. And so during that time, I wrote a letter to myself about what I want my life to look like and how I want it to feel. What I wrote out what a dream day would look like Mm. and what I would be wearing, where I'd be living, where my desk would be, like what I'd be eating for dinner. Like I wrote this whole thing out and I found it recently and it's literally the life that I live minus there's no man in my life. Um, but everything else and the funniest thing, this is the best part of this letter. I used to live in Philadelphia. I moved to the Phoenix, Arizona area. When I wrote that letter, I was in Phoenix, Arizona for a conference with my network marketing company, sitting at a coffee shop in downtown Phoenix, never imagining that I would live here. And I wrote that fucking letter in Phoenix, Arizona, changed my whole life, ended up back in the desert, living that life fully. That's the power of scripting. And it's one of the things I teach people is how to script things and how powerful it is when you start to really like believe and feel and see it. Yep. Oh, it just gave me goosebumps too. I'm laughing at the Tony Robbins thing too, because I went through, I was addicted to Tony Robbins and T. Harvecker. I was obsessed with him. Oh, yeah. Yep. I went to like his in-person thing. Yep. I was obsessed. I was doing all the money things he was talking about. And it was harder back then, back in the olden days, <laughs> we didn't have like podcasts and things. So I like had the books and I was yeah. all over the Tony Robbins. So I have probably, if I look in my closet, I'm willing to bet I still have yeah. these and things. Yeah. He was my gateway to like, I say like, I first had a mindful awakening and then I had a deep soul awakening and Tony, like I'll forever love him because he was a catalyst like in me changing my whole life. Yeah. That's how I feel about T. Harvecker. I'm just like, oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I love this. So then you start coaching. Mm-hmm. What kind of coaching were you doing? I was coaching highly successful women on how to reprogram their mindsets around stress and anxiety. So I really got into Dr. Joe Dispenza and becoming a student of his work and started this like entry-level coaching for women who had never done any mindset work before. And so it was a lot around like the thoughts that they, the, the thoughts that they thought, the words that they said, um, a lot of journaling, a lot of holding space for their processes as they moved through stuff. And so that's how I started my coaching. Um, and then I joined a mastermind after I left practice and in the mastermind, everyone was like, why aren't you a business coach? And I was like, cause I'm not. And they're like, but like the way you think about business and life from being a lawyer. And at that point I was like, would not tell people I was a lawyer. Like I didn't identify with it. I tried to completely push it away and disassociate from it. And they were like, Regina, like, you think about business in a way that most people don't because of your experiences and because of the leadership that you had done at the firm. And just even the way I see the structure of business, like coming from that type of structure um, is the way I see business. And I did a lot of training and I trained younger associates and I 
I trained my whole support staff on how to work with me and systems and processes and everything. So that actually shifted gears for me. And I started business coaching. Um, And then I also launched my social media marketing agency around the same time. So let's talk about this for a second, because I know there's a lot of people out there and they're like, oh, so she just left law and then she launched her coaching business and she was super successful and made a lot of money. Is that what happened? No, uh, uh-uh. I didn't really start making money as a coach until I pivoted into business coaching. So when I was doing the mindset coaching, I actually, this is the timeline. I was doing mindset coaching. I wasn't making enough money. And so I was like, what else am I good at that I can do where I could make money pretty quickly with like little to no overhead social media management. And so then I was like, okay, like I'm just going to start doing social media management myself and bring in extra cash. And like, and like, I never thought I would grow that business. I just thought it would be something that would give me money while I grew my coaching business. Then I decided to switch to business coaching. When I switched to business coaching and went all in on that, with the agency business coaching is what made me like, that was my six figure coaching job is doing one-on-one business coaching. And it took me a year to like really grow that business. Um, so no, it was, I'm very, I'm always like, try it out, see how it goes. If it doesn't work, pivot, try it out, see how it goes. If it doesn't work, pivot. Because as long as you have the unreal, you have to have an unrelenting desire that you're going to be all in. And whatever it's going to take, how wh- however you have to shift and pivot and like swallow your ego, you're going to do it. And so I had that mentality. So it took a while for me to get into a groove of like really making money. I love that statement too. You have to be all in because I think there's, and I want to take the word hustle back, frankly, because I like, I like to be in the hustle sometimes Same. because that is discipline for me. Yeah. And so I think people look at them and think, oh, well, I don't want to hustle because I'm going to burn out and I don't want to be all in because I'm going to burn out. It's like, no, if you want to do the things, you actually have to do them. You have to do them and you have to, because this is the thing about launching a business. You can't just do the things. You have to learn how to do the things while simultaneously doing the thing. So you have to be a student and a doer at the same time. And I was just talking to a friend about this yesterday when we were hiking. And I said, like, you have to hustle. There are seasons of hustle. Show me one person that has a sustainable business, not just like there's always, and I said to him, there's the unicorns, right? There's the unicorn who blew up as an influencer and is making money in some way, right? That person to have a sustainable brand and business, the back end systems, strategies, processes has to happen. And for those things to happen, you got to fucking hustle. I agree with you. I don't feel, I like the word hustle. Me too. I think- I think we have to have seasons of it. There's times where like building a bit. And I said this yesterday, building a business is not this sexual thing that people think it is. It is just like, like when the, like when Amazon was being built, we love Amazon. There's nothing sexy about Amazon and the way it was built. They just fucking brought in the best people and they built it and they, changed it and they optimized it and they changed it and they changed it and they changed it to make it what it is today. Our businesses are no different than bajillion dollar businesses. It's just that it all falls on us to do it. 
Mm -hmm. So you're doing all this stuff. And so how did you get into the breath work and the sound healing stuff from business coaching? (laughs) Yeah. So I had a really big spiritual awakening. Um, I was somebody who from a really young age had a lot of interesting spiritual experiences and had access to spiritual gifts that I didn't realize what they were. And I was ashamed of them. And so I put them aside. And um, also I was raised really Catholic. And so like anything new age in that category is like not okay. Um, So I just kind of hid from that. And then I moved to Arizona. Well, my spiritual awakening started before I moved to Arizona. I a lot of things started to happen, but I met a girl in Philadelphia, Reagan, who is a tarot card reader and a Reiki master. And she was the first spiritual person I met that looked like a normal woman. She didn't smell like Pajuli. She wasn't dressed like a hippie. Like she is this tall, beautiful like big busty will tell you to go fuck yourself and then read your tarot cards kind of girl. Like she was just so the real deal. I remember sitting with her having my tarot cards read and she's got this thick Philadelphia accent and she's just the best. And I remember meeting her and she was my first spiritual friend who I was like, Oh, I can be spiritual and I can be like normal to the world's eyes. And so she kind of opened it up for me and was like, you don't, you should not live in Philadelphia. Like it's the, the energy of the Northeast is too heavy and dense for you. You need sunlight. And so then I moved to Arizona. My gay best friend was here and I moved in with, I call him daddy. I moved in with daddy. And uh, when I moved here, I set the intention, like, please allow me to call in women who are going to be in my life forever and who are going to help me and teach me in this journey. And within a few weeks of being here, I met this woman named Ksenia, who is now one of my best friends. And she has been sober for 13 years. She is this Russian, gorgeous, like takes your breath away. She's so beautiful, covered, body covered in tattoos, um, just the dopest chick. Um, and I got to know her and she's a shaman mm-hmm. and I got to know her and she was like, I'm doing a shamanic breath work this week. You should come. And I was like, great new friend breathing. Sounds great. So I went to her breath work class and I remember exactly where I was in the room. And I remember going through the experience and all of a sudden I started, I felt like my crown opened up. And all of a sudden, like the downloads of information that came in, I felt like I had access to like the records of all of my lifetimes. And I started to see what it was. I got this deep information about my family and why I chose them and my work that I'm supposed to do here. And one of the downloads that came through was this is your medicine and you have to learn this and bring this to the world. And I was just like, what does that even mean? You know? (laughs) And so I started doing breath work with Ksenia and doing private breath work. And during that time, I also started hearing voices. (laughs) Been there, I get it. (laughs) Yeah, I know you do. And um, 
I realized that like, that's when I started to learn about my team and like all the, all the people that are on my team, um, in the ethers that are working with me. And I started to hear them and there was this queen. I don't know who she is on my team. I think it's ISIS, honestly, as I've done a lot of work and she would come in, boom, and she would yell at me. And I would be in my car driving, crying, trying to build a business. Like the pandemic has like happening, like all this stuff is going on. Um, I thought I was going to be doing events. My, I feel like my whole life that I've been building is falling apart and I'm crying in my car and I feel the smack. And then I hear like, you need to get over it and you need to figure it out. Right. And so that started happening. And then I was in a private breathwork session with Ksenia and all of a sudden I felt during breathwork, this, somebody was sitting on me in breathwork and, um, and I don't, I'm breathing. I'm not saying this to her and she's connecting with my guides. And she was like, she saw this woman come in and sit on me and said the message that came through Ksenia was, you know what you're here to do and you need to start doing it. Your work, you have spiritual work to do in this lifetime outwardly spiritual work and you need to start doing it. And I was like, what am I supposed to do? And Ksenia was like, I don't know. You have to figure that out. (laughs) That's what people always think that the guides give you the answer. No. No. And they're saucy as fuck sometimes. Saucy. The saucier we are as humans, the saucier they are because they know we need it. Yep. And it's just like when you're getting information, like I like high level details. So sometimes they'll just give me high level details. And I'm like, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do with that? Yeah. Figure it out. (laughs) Figure it out. Yeah. And that like, through that period of time, I realized, okay, like I should become a breathwork practitioner. And I wasn't even sure what I was going to do with it. I didn't like the brand and business I have with breathwork. I was not planning this. I just knew I had to become a practitioner. And so in a few month period of time, I became a breathwork practitioner. I became a sound healer and I flew to meet with one of my mentors in Florida and I did my Reiki certification level one all within six months. And I just was listening to the nudges and leaning in and trusting. And then I started holding space for breathwork and I realized, oh, I've been doing this for lifetimes. Like it came so easily for me. And, you know, my, my mentor was like, you have tremendous like reach, like you can hold space in a, in a big way for men and women. And I was like, huh? Okay. And so, and then I started the sound healing and I was, I was like, oh, my teacher was like, you've been a sound healer for lifetimes. Like this is also part of your medicine. And so that's how it happened. I had a spiritual awakening and I started leaning into these, these intuitive nudges to try things. Like whenever anything's a full bodied, yes, I don't even check in with my brain. I just say, okay, like my gut and my sacral are on fire. I'm leaning in. Yes. (sighs) So I've incorporated breath work into my life in the past few months, like on a consistent basis. I'd been trying to get into it for years. I, people would send me different things like Wim Hof and stuff. And I just had this fucking aversion to him for so I was like, no, I don't want to do this. No. And then I found some that I liked to do, but I would get really frustrated because I couldn't breathe. It was like, I would bring the breath, mm-hmm. it would get stuck 
right around my solar plexus area. And I'm like, I can't, this is fucking annoying. I don't want to do this. Uh huh. And I would force myself every day. I was like, nope, you're going to do this. I don't know what it was. Yeah. My body now was saying you are going to fucking do this. So yeah. sit down and learn how to breathe. So then when I experienced you, I had had some experiences with it, but nothing like I've ever experienced when we did the session. I like one, you have the most beautiful energy, but also I'm very visual. So you were able to explain things that might happen. So when they were happening, I wasn't freaking out. I just like worked through them. Not that anything weird was free, but I think you called a bumhole mouth or something. Yeah. Butthole mouth, lobster claws in your hands butthole mouth, like different, we can have different physical sensations that come up in the body. And especially if it's your first time doing the style of breath that I do, if you don't know about it, your, your conscious mind is going to be like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> well, and also because you also think in breath work, you're just kind of like laying there and I, my body likes to move. And you said, you're like, if you need to like move your hand, I was like, oh my God, I think I love this woman. Yeah. I'm clearing energy at the end of the day. I'm flailing my arm, like I'm flinging my arms around. Same. And so when we were doing the breath work and you're like, my arm, I just let my body do what it wanted to do. Yeah. It was wild. Yeah. It's the coolest like breath work, like the style of breath work that I do the most. It's just like, so, so fucking cool what the body can do. It is cool. And I know on your podcast, and I think I wrote a note, I think it's like episode making noise here, episode like 82 or 89. I wrote it somewhere. There actually is a breathwork practice that people can do. So I'm going to link stuff, obviously, but like they can experience you. And I know that you've now built this breathwork brand. You have a membership. Yeah. Yeah. I've built a whole brand around breath work because I just, I think it's, we're living in an age right now where people are really curious and people are exploring plant medicine in ways openly that they never have before, which I am a proponent of. And I've had a lot of ceremony with plant medicine. There's nothing like the breath. The breath is the most potent, powerful medicine that can heal your body on a physical level, on an emotional level, on a spiritual level. And so I wanted to create a breathwork membership that was accessible to everyone. And so twice a month, I have a live Zoom room where I host a breathwork experience. And then if you can't make it live, it's then in a membership portal and I charge $44 a month for it. And so in that portal, you have access to the live classes. You can listen to the recordings. And then I'm also just getting into the habit of recording weekly meditations. So if you need a meditation, if you need a sound journey, like whatever you're needing, I'm starting to fill that space that you can drop in for whatever your body and soul needs right now. I love that. What would you say to people who are just starting out in breathwork? Like, how do you, cause I know my journey into it was frustrating as fuck. So what do you recommend people do? Is there stuff people can be doing on their own before they explore something like this? Yeah. Well, first of all, the frustration that you experience in breathwork is I, I first invite people to try to flip your mindset about it. When something is coming up, It's coming up and through you for a reason to show you something. So if you're someone who feels a lot of women feel trapped in their throat, 
and in their chest. It's a common, it's not with men, it's been women. Mm -hmm. And I believe that it's because we have not been speaking our truth for lifetimes. We have been quiet. We have been silenced in this lifetimes and the lifetimes before. And so when the throat and the body starts to like in that area, you have trouble breathing. It's an invitation for you to start to speak your fucking truth into the space, right? And anything that comes up, I have people who come up and they'll have like their hands get like little lobster claws during breath work, you know, instead of getting frustrated or upset with like the discomfort that comes with it, there's an area of your life that you're holding on to and trying to control so tightly. So why don't we, instead of get frustrated, let's get curious. Let's be like, my body is the most brilliant machine. What is it trying to tell me? Um, if you're just getting started with your breathwork journey and you're like, where do I start? The first place that you start is to start to pay attention to the way that you breathe. So most of us are breathing shallow breaths in and out of our mouths on the regular mouth. Breathing is the worst breathing to be doing on a daily basis, 24 seven. You should actually start to condition yourself to be a nose breather. Most people listening to this are going to think they're nose breathers, and then you're going to sit and reflect and realize you're not. So I want you to just start to notice your breath, which, where are you breathing from your mouth or your nose? If you're sitting at a desk all day, challenge yourself to keep your lips closed and just take deep breaths in and out through the nose, start, start to become curious about your breath and start to pay attention to it. And then when you have moments in your day where you're stressed or you're anxious, I want you to pin your lips closed and I want you to take deep belly breaths in and out of the nose and do four counts, four counts in, maybe hold it for four out. And you can do that in conversation with somebody and they'll have no idea. Just start to build awareness. Like our breath, we take it for granted because we it's a function in our body that functions on it, its own, but we can also control it, right? So there's a direct correlation between your breath and your nervous system regulation. Our nervous, there's it's not a coincidence that we don't breathe right and most of us have jacked up nervous systems. If you are a woman and you are listening, your nervous system, when it becomes jacked up, it leads to other health issues in the body. Your cortisol gets elevated. It affects your adrenal function. It affects your metabolic rate. Like all of those things are impacted by your nervous system. So start to pay attention and just like get to know your breath. Like it's a brand new thing you're discovering. And it is though, because we had a conversation and I was like, it's like I had to learn how to breathe all over again but it's helped me with the power lifting. And it's, this is a kind of like a weird one, but so I go every month to get these amazing facials done. They're like an hour and a half, but she puts this stuff. It's like a mask. And when I first started going, I was like, you can't cover my mouth. Cause I'll oh. freak out. So I was like, I can't breathe if you cover my mouth. Oh, I know what kind of mask you mean. And then they leave, leave you holes yeah. for your nose. Yeah. And then she would cover my eyes. So the only holes that were open was my nose holes. And the first month I was like, no, you can't like, just leave my mouth uncovered. And then the second time I went, I didn't even say, don't cover my mouth. I wasn't even thinking. And she covered my mouth and I had a split second of like, holy fuck, I'm going to freak out. Yeah. And then all of a sudden my nervous system calmed down and I started breathing through my nose. Like I, I do, I breathe through my nose now. And I was like, oh, I'm okay. Like I'm okay. Yeah. But it's yeah. been an interesting journey. And I know you've had a similar journey. I've 
for most of my life, I lived with a jacked up nervous system. Yeah. My body literally put on weight to protect me over the last three years mm-hmm. because it was like, I, our body is so smart. So smart. It may not always react in the way we want, but when you recognize that it's doing things to protect you and then you work backwards from that to heal it. Yeah. Well, and the great thing about the breath is like, I talk a lot about regulating your nervous system. And I actually, I'll, I'll still say that phrase regulating your nervous system, but it's really that we're working towards having a resilient nervous system. We're always going to get stressed Our we're always going to have stress spikes. But like the question I ask myself in all things is like, yeah, but then what was my bounce back time? You know, like I'm going to always be triggered by shit. Like, but what's my bounce back? Was it like five minutes? Was it an hour? You know, and the breath is the greatest tool in nervous system resiliency. Like, cause it, it helps to take it down. Mm-hmm. And from an interesting belief where I think about growing up and stuff and being in conflict with people and some of the things they would say was, okay, just take a breath. Okay. Just take a breath. And now looking back on that, it's like, yeah, I actually should have yeah. just taken a breath. They yeah. were saying it as a way to poke me. Mm-hmm. But had I just taken the breath, my anger would have not been so rawr. I know. Yeah, same. Oh, it's so wild. I just, I love now, I love the breath work. It's a part of my everyday life. It's helped me release a bunch of shit so that I can transform things like it's just been a very interesting addition yeah (laughs) and I I love I love how you look at it as like you want to have a resilient nervous system yeah you want a resilient nervous system that that's why like so something I've gotten into this year is um cold exposure therapy so me too uh, you too yeah I do showers because I don't have access to like a plunging place so I have contrast showers yeah it's the best and so like I um I do the cold the cold tub exposure and or like when it's cold here like I'll get into my pool and then I'll like get out. But the, so when you get into a cold tub, as soon as you get in, your body freaks out, right? You're like, <gasps> and like, you're, you're trying to breathe and then you find your breath. And the more you get into the cold tub, you get in, you still have the cold experience, but you find your breath. And the more regularly you do it, you realize like you get in and you, you quickly like regulate your nervous system. It happens so quickly. Um, that's one of the other, like, that's a huge modality that I love to use that helps with resiliency in your nervous system. And it's all connected. It's temperature too, but it's also the breath. Yep. I remember my naturopath was like, okay, you're going to start doing contrast showers. You're going to start cold. I was like, oh God. Okay. But I remember feeling the cold and she's like, let it hit your chest first. Yeah. And I was like, (gasps) And then I heard the voice in my head go, just fucking breathe, man. Breathe through it. Yeah. And so I started to breathe and I'm like, oh, it's not that bad. Actually, I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay. I'm you do this. In the shower. No, you do this thing where like you realize like whenever I get into the cold tub and I'm like, and I'm breathing deeply, I'm like, wow, it's so interesting. Like when you can make that disconnection between the brain and the body, right? 
Like I remember I have tattoos on all my, on my fingers and finger tattoos are really painful. Um, and this one particular tattoo, it, it actually felt like they were cutting my finger off as they were tattooing me. And I remember sitting there still and I was watching him tattoo me and I was like, wow, it's so interesting right now. My brain thinks that we're in danger and that you're cutting this finger off, but you're not, I know you're not. This is the conversation in my brain. And so I'm sitting there calm breathing while in excruciating pain. And so I'm just noticing moments of like the separation between brain and body. And every time I get into the cold tub, I have that experience. Every time I start breath work, like I love breath work. I think it's the best. It's like one of my favorite modalities, obviously. Every time I start a session, I have resistance and I drop in and I'm like, oh, what the why the fuck am I doing this again? This is so hard, blah, 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 you know? And then I have to like, then all of a sudden this thing where there's the disconnection between the brain and the body and I drop into it. Yeah. It's a really cool experience to separate the two and just be like, Oh, I, I always, the way I explain it is like, I feel like I'm taking myself out and being this observer of my life, but I'm still in charge of everything. Like I'm still yeah. watching. Yep. I'm watching a movie, but I'm still in there. Like I'm not disconnected in a bag. Right. It's like, Oh, I'm seeing things more clearly. Yeah. A different perspective and a different vantage point. It's almost like floating above your own body and, and witnessing like that happens in breath work a lot. I've had it and my students have it a lot where they, they feel like they're hovering above their body and like just witnessing what's happening in the body. But that's also why I love the work that I do too, is because you can learn to put yourself in these altered states of consciousness through your mind to disconnect from your mind, to be in your, like, it's just, we have, humans are amazing. Mm -hmm. People just need to realize that you need to be grounded in yourself and grounded. When you're grounded, you get to travel to all the other places is what I'm going to (laughs) say. Yeah. And you also need teachers like you and myself that give you the tools to be able to access, like, we're, you know, like, like the type of work that you and I do, it's not a common thing that like we're taught from childhood. And so we need teachers to teach us how to access these different parts of, of our, of our humanity and of our soul. One of my favorite things to witness is I have a lot of clients who have kids. And so they'll take the tools that they've learned from me and they're starting to instill them in their children. They're starting, one sent me a message the other day. She's like, you know, there's nothing more powerful than helping my daughters have this confidence, but also teaching them how to co-create Yeah, teaching them that they can do that. Mm-hmm. Just like, yes, yes. So beautiful. I love this. So I'm going to have everything linked up in the show notes for people yeah. to find you, including your podcast, like all the stuff. When I have people on the show, I always like to ask you this question because it is called the limitless life. So what does living a limitless life mean to you? Mm, Living a limitless life means that my days are filled with no matter what happens, there is periods of joy and love and excitement Like as long as I have those in every day of my life, I feel like my life is limitless. This has been such a good conversation. 
thank you for taking time out of your day to be here and just like being so open about your journey and all of the things. I very much appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. 